having a little technical difficulties. The technical difficulties are coming from uh, there is a button on these headphones that I did not see before uh, that can make them not hear and make them not listen. So, I am straightened out. I am without problem. I have the whole nature harvest, whole pit of dates, Und Starbucks Frappuccino. A chill drink with 290 calories. The flavor is s'mores. Uh, this flavor is the s'mores uh, where you have the uh, graham cracker crust, the uh, piece of Hershey's milk chocolate, and also, the marshmallow. And I don't like it. It's not that good. It's okay, but it's not that good. I would drink this, even though I'm on a diet, 290 calories right down the pig snoot. Because ah, I paid for it. Now, I am freely full of fuel and ready to light this fire and search to the moon for movies to watch and listen to. This is the silver, this is the gold, and it is pitted. This episode. Alright, let's get right into this um, episode. Enough of the jocularity. Um... There's some quick turnaround time this week, but after uh, about a two and a half week uh, rest period, I'm ready and willing and able to rock and roll, and I'm ready, willing, and able to do some podcasting. Um, I got this pair of underwear. What are these? Wrangler? Got these Wrangler uh, boxer briefs. They are, have a red and blue stripe. I kind of like them. Uh, I'm kind of a little dis- disappointed um, that they're starting to get a little older. They're still intact, but they're getting a little faded. I feel like my, my PP um, is getting smaller, maybe, now that I'm getting older. But it might just be a lack of testosterone. I don't know. Let's have another drink of this this uh, chilled uh, coffee drink. 290... Uh, Calories per bottle. And I, you know what I like about this um, Starbucks Frappuccino? I mean, I know it's Starbucks. I know it's bullshit. It's cliche. It's overpriced. Blah, 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 blah. But it comes... Get out of you, Mary. What are you doing? Mary. Hello, Mary. My special guest host today is Mary. Hey, yo, Mary. Let me get the boogers out of your eyes. Um... I like that it comes in a glass bottle because it makes it nice and tasty. But uh, I did watch some movies this week. Um, 
and I read some comic books. Um, I had some reviews of those. I'll be bringing to you last week. I said I was going to bring you some reviews of some comics that I've been reading. It'll be quick because I know some of you don't give two shits about comic books. Some of you do. Um, so I'm just going to go over them quick here at the beginning so I don't forget like I did last week. If this dog will get out of here, get out of my face! Go lay on the bed, smiley. Um, the first thing I read, and I, I just I got a, a subscription to Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and I've I, I, so far I think I'm, I'm about three issues into my subscription, and um, I like the characters and everything. And I one wait a minute, <coughs> the one of the reasons I I uh, started reading it was. Um, then, you know, of course, I like the movie, but I used to read it back when uh, Starhawk, Charlie 27, Martin X, and uh, all those dudes were, uh, dudes and dudettes, were, you know, had the, uh, the original Guardians of the Galaxy. And I kind of like the concept, uh, like when you're watching that movie or reading these comics now, uh, you know, one thing you have to keep in mind is, is that this is. Uh, even though it follows the original Guardians of the Galaxy comic, it is it predates it. These are the original Guardians uh, with Peter Quill, who was Star Lord. I used to read that uh, black and white co- uh, magazine, comic magazine, Star Lord, which was really good. Uh, dog, I swear to fucking God, if you get mixed up in that cord, oh, I could never hurt you. So sweet, sweetie, Mary, you're such a sweetie. So anyway, I got to. Seriously, your nose is cold on my arm. Dig it. Um, I'm not real thrilled about uh, them adding uh, Venom, uh, the Avengers. You know, to kind of talk to, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy into uh, taking Venom with them. To I don't know why, just to get him out of the way, I guess. It's, uh, uh, what's his name, Flash Thompson, uh, who was for years and years and years a uh, kind of like the uh, jock to that Peter Parker was the nerdy guy in Spider-Man and Flash was the jock guy. Well, Flash went to war and Flash got his legs uh, amputated. And uh, so he has, you know, the Venom uh, symbiote, uh, when it connects to someone, uh, it kind of amplifies or takes on their characteristics. So when it first came to Earth and it got hooked on, uh, was it Eddie Brock? Uh, it was a butthole because Eddie Brock is a butthole. But Flash is kind of a nice, you know, he's a hero. He, I think he's a war hero. Uh, and he's got a good heart now. You know, he's more mature than what he used to be when he was a douche. And so, then, you know, now... Um, he uh, the venom uh, he was agent venom and uh, and so he's you know he kind of uses the the the, 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 the symbiote uh, for good uh, and uh, I guess the symbiote kind of uses him uh, you know it's a it's a mutual relationship and they they get along so anyway I wasn't real thrilled about that because I, I kind of wanted to just see the guardians but they kind of throw venom in there but it's not hurting it or anything they actually went to the planet where the, uh, the venom symbiote uh, originates from, and uh, so we got some stuff going on there. It's not a bad book. It's uh, I'm not super into it. Seriously, Mary, go fucking lay down, dipshit. Lay down, you motherfucker. You lay down. 
Don't give me that look. Oh, I love you. So anyway, um, you know, Peter Quill is like dating uh, Kitty Pride of the X-Men, and they have a long-distance relationship. It's kind of stupid, but I don't know. You know, I guess it kind of links them to Earth, so that's not bad. Uh, another one uh, I have been reading for, for a while now, I, I, I pitched to CDR because it's it's I just told him it's you know it's crazy there's crazy shit going on is X Force I uh, was reading uh, Cable and X Force and then they just switched it over to X Force it's got a lot of good stuff in it uh, uh, there is a wacky German or I'm sorry Russian like mobster villain Volga and he's pretty fucked up and everybody in the group's fucked up cable his whole situation is definitely odd and uh you know his daughter and everything I, i'm digging it dig it um punisher the new you know punisher book um i just started getting this i'm about three i got this when guardians uh I first subscribed to that, and so I'm about three issues into this. And one of the reasons I like it, and one of the reasons I subscribe to it, is I want a Punisher book that has really not much, if anything, to do with superheroes. I don't want to see the Punisher in Thunderbolts. I don't want to see any of that shit. I want to see the Punisher as a man, and I want to see him fighting criminals. You can have good uh, human mafia guys or gangs or serial killers, rapists, whatever, child molesters and make it compelling and good. And so far I'm not I'm not minding this. It's got a uh, howling commandos uh which is in this book uh Shield has an elite squad of howling commandos uh which are you know, they're humans. They're ba- you know, basically uh, uh the best of the best or whatever. Uh soldiers and you know at one time here recently the howling commandos were actually like werewolves and monsters which i kind of like that concept too but you know that's cool because like i said i i I like the punisher and i kind of want to see him just be a human uh reality based kind of guy uh the new iron fist iron fist the living weapon i'm liking it liking it no i'm not sure if i'm loving it or not but i'm liking it uh this is written and uh um Drawn by Carr, K-A-A-R-E, Kyle Andrews. So K.K. Andrews, I guess. I like the artwork, and I'm liking the story. I've always been a big fan of Iron Fist, Chop, because he's got some kung fu and all that stuff going on, Kung Lun and all that bullshit. Um, Secret Avengers is one of my favorites. Uh, You got uh, some really cool stuff going on in that. Um, it is written me by Alice Cot. Why can't these people have regular names like artist Michael Walsh, who's uh, drawing it? Um, you got some interesting stuff going on here, and I like the style and how he's doing it. Uh, Modoc is in it, and uh, he's a longtime villain, and he's uh, working with uh, the Secret Avengers. He's in love with Maria Hill, uh, and you have. Uh, Lots of cool stuff in there. Lady Bullseye is a baddie in that. She's battling Black Widow as we speak. I think it's still going on. They're still battling in the comic. Let me open the page and look. Yep, they're battling. It's a little battling. There's some humor in this. Got some funny stuff. The art's uh, got some good... You know, it's not like... It's kind of like a cartoony art, but I I like it because it kind of goes along with the the, uh, strange and silly funny stuff. Uh, Deathlock, um, 
the new Deathlock, not Luther Manning, but the new dude, uh, whatever the fuck his name is, me, um, I didn't have high hopes for this, but I kind of like it. And just like Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you have to remember that this was uh, before Luther Manning. This Luther Manning uh, was from the future. So when he, you know, he, he came back in time, as the Guardians of the Galaxy did a few times uh, uh, to team up with the Avengers of modern day, or of the, I guess, 70s and 80s. Um, this is written by Nathan Edmondson and uh, drawn by Mark Perkins. And I like it. I don't know. It's got dominoes. Kind of, they're kind of bringing in some uh, superhero guest people. And I, I don't know if I like that or not. I'd rather see it kind of stand on its own. I know with the old uh, Marvel UK stuff, uh, I really liked it. And then toward the end, they they started putting Wolverine and all these fuckers in there, you know, as guest shots. I guess trying to give it a boost. Uh, Fantastic Four. They are toward the end of this one because of the movie coming out and them wanting to uh, kind of redo all of it, uh, I guess, to fit the movie and all that shit. Uh, all these books, they started uh, numbering like 016 and 012 and all this shit. Uh, and they were doing the same thing with the Fantastic Four book, but because they're nearing the end of this one, they switched back, and this one was 642. And uh, they're going, uh, they're they're kind of uh, having some issues with uh, the Avengers. So that's another uh, another one that's kind of uh, I don't know. It's all right. I, I, I'm following it to the end. I don't mind it. It's it's not bad, but uh, you know, I'm I'm just uh, keeping an open mind for what's going to be happening in the future. <laughs> With that movie and stuff, I hope it's good. If it's good, nobody will give a shit. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, that uh, I haven't read yet, uh, but uh, the uh, female spider, new Spider-Man character, Silk, has a new book coming out, and I'm kind of curious to see what's going on there because uh, I was reading it in the Amazing Spider-Man, and I like the character. Uh, apparently, her and Peter, when they're close to each other, they want to fuck all the time. They have an attraction. Because of the spider bite or something, probably on his wang. Um, Amazing X Men. Not really a giant fan of this. Uh, I'm just kind of curious to see who's going to be the new Juggernaut, and that's what we're looking at there. Uh, Colossus is kind of being a douche, uh, or getting punished for being a douche in the past by uh, Storm, who's saying, "You know, hey, we can't trust you. You've been a douche." Me, uh, Spider Man, and the X Men. Eh, turd. Um, it was Wolverine and the X-Men. Of course, Wolverine supposedly passed away. So, you know, they bring in Spider-Man to teach these kids. Now, I don't. I like, kind of like the kids in the uh, book that are uh, uh, being taught at the uh, Jean Grey School, which was used to be the Xavier School for Gifted uh, uh, Douches. Uh, but uh, you're having a guest appearances by uh, the villains, uh, Sauron and uh, what's his name? That other dinosaur dude. Sauron and Stegron, uh, they're teaming up and they're doing some shit, and uh, it's all right. It's this is another one that's got some funny stuff in it, but it's not my, it's not really my bag. I don't really give a f- two fucks about the Spider-Man being in this book. Another one where they're just kind of throwing in somebody to try and give it some traction. Traction is something we need in the comic books. Um, that's about it for the comics. Like I said, I know some of you probably don't give a shit, and you probably tuned out just because I was talking about it. But come back now. I'm here. And we're going to talk about these movies and some of the stuff that I've been watching. <coughs> Old school, Sylvan Gord burping. 
Um, <laughs> well, uh, let's see here. Oh, we got some shit going on. Let's see. Um, another comic that I was thinking about looking into um, is one... Um, uh, what the fuck's it called? <laughs> it's the Looking Glass Wars, and uh, is it Hatter H? Or Hatter M? I guess it's the Mad Hatter. Um, Hatter Madigan, the Hatter. Uh, <laughs> that's what I... I just happened to see a cover with uh, this uh, Hatter M, and I guess that's the, uh, the based on the Mad Hatter. This all goes down in the Alice in Wonderland, like... Uh, uh, storyline kind of a thing, and uh, I guess there's going to be some some wars going on, some shit like that, and they're kind of redoing like the characters and stuff. I don't know anything about it other than I thought the uh, cover looked good, and I went to check it out. And also there is a um, steampunk uh, Green Hornet uh, comic coming out, and I kind of want to check that out. Want to get back in and and uh, uh, finish or not finish because I guess it's ongoing. Uh, BPRD. Hell on Earth. I stopped uh, at 123, and it's up to like about 128 or 129 now. So I need to get caught up. Kind of waiting on the digitals to uh, for them to have a uh, a uh, what do you call it? Not a bunch, not a bulk, a something where they put them all together, and you get a discount price for buying about six of them on digital. And uh, so uh, wait for that because I don't want to pay full price. It's a bit of tight wad. Um, had some computer not issues. Well, I had the computer issues, which I talked about last episode, and got them pretty much all straightened out. But uh, I bought uh, I have a, a, a few uh, Seagate uh, external hard drives, and I bought the newest one for some reason. Uh, just stopped. Uh, it, it doesn't show up under my computer. Uh, when I plug it into the USB port, it goes kook, you know, like so. It's the USB port works. I've tried other ones. The USB port works on it. Uh, the power works. It lights up. You can hear it spinning in there and everything. But for some reason, the computer won't recognize it. I went uh, online looking for ways to initiate it and everything and found a way. But when you click to initiate it, I'm getting an, some kind of error. I got a uh, new program. Uh, I can't remember what that motherfucker is called. But I added a new program uh, which someone said on uh, this Google crap that it, it uh, uh, hard disk sentinel that when they got that it ran it ran a scan of of their drive uh, their external hard drive it it started showing up uh, that scan takes fucking forever I mean this hard drive is like two uh, terabytes and that motherfucker could run for probably uh, two weeks straight for but when I did run it I ran it for about three days and every Block every sector or whatever in that son of a bitch showed up as bad. So I don't know how the hell it could be bad, but there's really not that much on there. But I'd like to save it, so I might have to save it and send it back. We'll see. I know um, Mr. Chris over at uh, Are You Serious was having some problems like that. Uh, he had some stuff that uh, really needed saving. Now on mine. What do I have? A bunch of pictures of girls' asses and thongs, uh, people getting spanked and choked and uh, spit on, and comic book stuff, and geeky, nerdy uh, stuff mixed with, uh, I don't know what else. Who knows? Um, So anyway, the movies. This is a movie podcast. It's an entertainment podcast, too. 
So, so you know, throw in some of that stuff. You know, watching some uh, hockey and uh, uh, Flyers have won. They they lost to the worst team in the NHL, the Buffalo Sabers, and then turned around and beat the best team in the NHL, which has their former coach uh, Peter Laviolette uh, and uh, the the uh, Nashville Predators. So they beat them, and then they beat the Washington Capitals and uh, Zach Renardo who is a fire plug of a player uh, who gets lots of penalty minutes, doesn't score a lot, and uh, whatever. Uh, I watched him, he plays for the Flyers, get knocked the fuck. Well, I don't think he got knocked out, but he was on Dream Street for at least from the time the uppercut hit his chin to the time he hit the ice, and then uh, he gathered himself, but he was definitely on uh, uh, Dream Street for for a moment. So anyway, other than that, uh, we got some movies here. This is the "What have you been watching?" part of the show. I, uh, like I said, I'm you know breaks. I'm giving people you know as far as the 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 the, the, uh, the promos and the shows and uh, you know my balls itch and stuff like that. Uh, I'm just throwing them in as I go. Like so, if I uh, uh, love the feminine critique with Christine and Emily, I will say it right now. And you should find it on Google and go listen. It's on iTunes, too. Feminine Critique. They give a perspective of the ladies and the women. And Christine has some perspective on Spider-Woman's outfit and pornography. Um, so check that out. And Emily is married. So, yeah. <laughs> There's something about everybody. She likes cats, too. Um, so that's a promo for the Feminine Critique. It's a podcast about movies. Um, the first thing I watched, um, I have not seen, when I was a a young child, my favorite actor was John Wayne. I grew up watching John Wayne. I love John Wayne movies. I remember at one time my, my family thinking it was the, I don't know if I would say the biggest thing or a funny thing to talk about was that I had watched the Green Berets 13 times. Uh, with Jim Hutton, uh, the Duke, John Wayne, Jim Hutton, Aldo Ray, uh, David Jansen, uh, Jack Sue from Barney Miller was in that. Um, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you you uh, as far as like war movies and stuff like that, action and everything, and I wanted to be in the army. My dad was in the army and all this crap. Uh, now, you know, I'm a fucking, you know, peacenik uh, pacifist sort of i'm like billy jack i i I try to to uh uh, you know not be a violent person but sometimes uh (laughs) no 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 not like that like i'm going out and bashing people but i uh you know there's times where that you know it's hard to it's like the serenity now thing sometimes you gotta let let some of the anger out let it out you know, hopefully it, it's like in a like said BDSM uh, thing. I know uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh my God! All these people are getting a fucking. Uh, all these women are getting like titty hard-ons and uh, and getting damp in their fucking trousers because they're this movie's supposed to be so steamy and those books and blah 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 blah. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I find it hilarious that. Uh, uh, what lemmings some people can be that uh, 
if you went out on a date uh, a few years ago, uh, or, or if you met someone and you, and uh, you know, they may even made a joke about it. And along came Polly with uh, um, Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston when he spanks her on the ass, and she says, "Did you just spank me?" And he's like, "Uh, no," you know. Um, most people would be like, you know, what the fuck's wrong with you? God, but you're a weirdo. You're a pervert or whatever. And then uh, a woman writes a book and everybody's like, oh my God, that's so hot. Ugh. And uh, I, I do find that funny because, you know, you know, if it was a hillbilly living in a, in a fucking trailer, as, as one of the memes said, uh, that was doing that, uh, it's, it's probably more along the lines of this guy's uh, a billionaire or whatever, a uh, rich, successful billionaire who's broken, and uh, you know the woman wants to fix him, and uh, you know whatever. Who gives a shit? But anyway, if you want to watch some good shit like that, watch The Secretary with Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, Spader, and, and, or uh, the story of O. There's some. There's a, a lot of good uh, spanky, hanky panky, spanky uh, movies that are the real deal, and you know the porn stuff. Some of it, depending on. Uh, how into it and what your levels are of uh, you know what you like and don't like. There's some pretty extreme shit out there, and there's some pretty good fucking good shit too. Uh, so anyway, uh, John Wayne. Uh, it would be kind of cool to see John Wayne in Fifty Shades of Grey and have like uh, I don't know, like Marilyn Monroe or fucking. Uh, well, I was gonna say Joan Crawford, but she'd probably be beating his ass with a riding crop and pegging him with a strap on dildo. How about that, Duke? Anyway, um, this movie that I watched is called Hatari, with an exclamation point. Um, John Wayne and Hatari. And uh, this was made in 1962, so it was a few years before I was even born. But um, the one thing about Hatari is, and, and um, you know, back in the day, you know, you always thought action movies would be like, uh, you know, cowboys or pirates or, uh, you know, a knight or a war movie, something like that. Um, but I like uh, movies that are action movies that not don't necessarily have to have a lot of violence in it, uh, like something that's a change-up. You know, with John Wayne, you always expected either a cowboy movie or a war movie. Now, of course, you had some, some stuff... Um, you know the the one against the grain, where like uh, the Quiet Man and, and things like that. But of course, you know you still had a classic brawl in that with him and Victor McLaughlin. But uh, this movie was sort of one of those ones that kind of went off, you know, in a little not in the left field, but it, it's an adventure movie uh, about uh, the, uh, he has a team of. Um, they're not really hunters. They're hunters in a way, but they don't kill animals. They capture them and uh, for, I guess, Mary, get seriously. I should have put you outside, but it's too cold, so you'd be good. Um, this movie is directed by Howard Hawks, who's you know a legend as far as you know westerns and movies like that go. Um, but uh, Sean Mercer, who is John Wayne in this movie, um, he kind of has a team of of guys that are hunters. Of course, you know they can shoot and they they do some target shooting in this and everything. Uh, but it's more of a just in case, like if uh, if they were trying to catch a lion or uh, a rhinoceros or something, and the thing was going to kill somebody, you know, it's almost like a self defense thing. They would shoot the whatever. Um, you know that's putting them in danger. Um, 
as a kid, I really liked this movie. I still like it, but I, I'm such a, a fucking animal lover and everything that uh, some of the stuff, they have some beautiful things in this, like where they're chasing a, uh, a rhinoceros, and you get to see this with a Land Rover, and the rhinoceros is running like right beside the Land Rover, and you get to see the, the size of it, or ostriches, or um, uh, giraffes, and monkeys and elephants and all kinds of stuff like that. So you get to see these really cool animals. I'm not like the th- as thrilled about like you know they're they're I guess they're capturing them for like a game reserve or I don't know if it's not necessarily for a circus but you know there's whatever the fucking reason they're capturing capturing these animals. But it is exciting and they have a couple of hot chicks in here. One is Elsa Martinelli. Uh, who plays Dallas. Now, of course, Duke uh, fucking names everybody in this movie. He's like uh, Stallone in the movies with uh, Toll Road and that stupid shit. Uh, But uh, you have Bruce Cabot in this, who plays the Indian. Now, Bruce Cabot also played an Indian in... Oh, shit. Was it Big Jake? I think it was Big Jake. And he was in the Green Berets, too. So him and the Duke must have been buddies. Because, you know, they they always had kind of like a... Uh, John Wayne kind of had his little uh, clique of, of actors that he liked to, to work with. You had a couple hot chicks in this. Um, there's uh, Red Buttons is in this. Hardy Krueger. Uh, but the thing about this one is... It, it is dated. Some of the stuff in it is. It has some silly stuff in it, as far as the um, the women and the the men go and how they interact. Whereas you know, you know, in real life, like if if there was some hot chick out there and they were interested, they'd you know, I don't think the Duke would have any problem. But you know, it's more it's more of a fifties, early sixties kind of a a feel as far as the love and relationships and the develop out on the Serengeti, I guess. <laughs> Woo. Um, but anyway, I liked it, and I think it, it's it's one of these ones that has just been digitally remastered, and I, I know they just put it out on Blu-ray, and, and it's on Netflix Instant, and it looks really good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm used to see, seeing it on uh, when we, you know, it would be on like Channel 10 or whatever, or some uh, afternoon or uh, weekend movie on an old school TV where you didn't get to see the the full screen, and so it's really cool and it really looks good. I'm glad that they're taking some of these movies and uh, working with them and making them look good and bringing them back because I had almost forgotten about that one. Um, next thing I watched was another Netflix Instant Watch, yes, from 2013, and it's a documentary uh, written and directed by Jim Bruce, and it is. Um, Money for Nothing Inside the Federal Reserve. Uh, now, I caught this the other day. I like a good documentary, and I was just, uh, you know, flipping through my Netflix on the new watches or the, you know, what's new on there, and this popped up. Um, it has a lot to do, you know, it tells the history of the Federal Reserve in the United States and all their power and what they were originally created for. They do like kind of like a uh, Jay Leno, uh, you know, uh, ask Jay, well, you know, where he walks down the street and they ask people questions. And they ask, uh, you know, people on the street, you know, what's the federal, what does the Federal Reserve do, or what is the Federal Reserve, and what do they do? And nobody knew, you know, and and it's just interesting. Uh, it is not a um, fluff piece because it deals with uh, the crashing of the economy and some of the stupid shit that they did for various reasons, including just out and out ego or. Alan Greenspan wanting people to like him and people, you know, 
pumping up his ego, like, you know, oh, he's a rock star, he's, he's so smart and everything, and he started letting that go to his head and making stupid decisions, and, you know, but it's it's very interesting, uh, you know, if you're into that kind of, you know, politics and stuff like that, uh, Liev Shriver is uh, the, one of the people that narrates it. I liked it, because I'm into that kind of stuff. stuff. Uh, then I did a complete about-face, and I can use this accent now for this movie because it's it is apropos i watched dead snow 2 red versus dead from 2014 or dodge snow 2 um now i thought this was funny as shit i did not expect it to be a comedy um it's a horror actiony comedy and um it has it stars uh it's uh, directed by Tommy uh, Vercola and written by Stieg Frode Eriksson and uh, Vega Hull. And uh, it stars uh, Vegar Hull, Ojan Gmast, Martin and Martin Starr. Um, I thought this was awesome. Um, it exceeded my wildest dreams because I was just flipping through again Netflix Instant, and I thought, you know, kind of wanted to watch something a little bit trashy. I like uh, Nazi zombie movies. I like Nazi occult movies, and uh, but I ex- I almost more expected this to be kind of hardcore badass like Outpost with Ray Stevenson, um, but it's pretty fucking hilarious and it's gory as shit. But it's gory in a in a funny way, and. Um, there are a couple of scenes where they build a little bit of scary, horror tension, but it's mostly just daylight and and uh, everything's just wild and crazy. Uh, the guy that stars in it that plays Martin is awesome in his green tracksuit, uh, which just looks fucking hilarious. Uh, if you watch the movie, you'll you'll find out uh, you know why all that shit's going on. Uh, I this is a big recommend. Check it out, Netflix Instant. Um, I also watched on Netflix Instant Watch uh, from 2010. This is uh, a Emilio Estevez written and directed movie from the Jack Hit book. Uh, starring Martin Sheen, uh, Milo Estevez, Deborah Carr Unger, or Deborah Unger, who we've talked about before on this show, uh, and it's called The Way from 2010. Now, I had seen the cover art for this uh, a bunch of times. I kind of had an idea of what the concept of it was, but I just never really watched it, never sat down and started it up and gave it a chance. Um, I need to take a drink because all this talking is making me parched. S'mores, Frappuccino. We have some of this tea too. I got a little tea too. You know, so not quite as sweet. Ah, dig it. Um, now the way. Um, I guess if you're a father. Yeah, I know, I know Sam Uri from Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, who bring class to trash since 1977, and who I was just listening to last night while I was walking. <sighs> I said that all in one breath. That's another promo. Me, write that down. Click. Um, he, uh, Sammy said he really liked it. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I started watching it. Um, I like Martin Sheen. 
I uh, kind of wanted to see something with him in it. I knew that Emilio uh, wrote and directed it because uh, I saw some interviews about it. I didn't really know that much about this pilgrimage, uh, the uh, traveling the El Camino de Santiago. Um, it's a long journey through Spain and everything. It's supposed to have some spiritual shit. It's like, you know, uh, walking you know to Mecca or whatever. But uh, I, I got to tell you, it was all right. It didn't do it that much for me, and I kind of got uh, tired of... Um, what's his face? What's this jackass's mouth? Tom? Uh, the father uh, who is on the journey. Um, you know, I, I understand the building of it, but I thought he was kind of a kind of a dick. Uh, <laughs> Deborah Unger still looks pretty good. Um, you know, I think we had a debate on the show or on the group or on something where we uh, were questioning whether we thought she was hot or not. I believe that at one time I even said that I thought she might have had a bit of a... No, I'm, I'm thinking of somebody else when I, about the earth looking like kind of like a tranny, but uh, still thinking she... Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that was the chick that was in um, uh, Rock and Roll High School or whatever, the one that played a teacher or some shit. I can't remember. But anyway, Deborah Unger... Midfucker. Moving along, Saudi Samurai. Maybe if I have a child, I will like that one better. Um, anyway, the next thing I watched was 2014. Now, I rented this on... No, I bought it because it was a cheap buy. And it's a brand new movie from 2014 uh, called St. Vincent, which is written and directed by Theodore Melfi and stars Bill Murray, Melissa McCarthy, and Naomi Watts. Or Watts. Um the thing I, I was waiting to rent this, uh, when iTunes first gets a movie in early release before it's put out on DVD, it's usually nineteen ninety nine, and then, you know, uh, some of them they will not have for rent. Or if they do, it's six ninety nine because it's brand new. So I kind of wanted to wait, and I waited a few weeks, and I looked, and I was just going to rent it, and it was, I think, <clears throat> on sale for twelve ninety nine. So it was r- r- quite a redu- reduced quite a bit. And I had heard a lot about it. I know that uh, Howard Stern had Bill Murray on his show, which was a nice interview. He just had Dan Aykroyd on there uh, this past week, which was really cool, getting to you know some of the old SNL people. Um, but um, they he was saying and really blowing it up that Bill Murray sh- should be nominated for an Oscar for this movie and how good it was and everything. So I was really anxious to see it. I almost went to see it when I did my Nightcrawler, uh, Fury, and John Wick three day three movies three days in a row at the theater thing, but I did not. Now that said, I thought it was all right. Okay, now. Uh, what do I have to say about St. Vincent? At the very beginning, uh, and this isn't giving anything away, it's just something that I thought was kind of cool, that when you first hear, hear hear Bill Murray speak, he's doing this voice, and I really liked it. And I thought, oh, this is different. You know, he's doing a kind of a gravelly voice like this. And then I kind of realized that he was kind of doing a Brian Doyle Murray voice for the character, which I liked. And... I thought that Murray did a good job. I thought he was really good in it, but essentially I thought he was kind of playing the same Bill Murray part that we usually see, which is, you know, kind of dry, 
grouchy kind of guy, which is good because he's good at that, obviously. Um, he, I, the way he lived in his house and uh, how his house looked and how he dressed and everything, it kind of reminded me of some Zom that I know, whatever. Um, now, Naomi Watts is hot. I've always thought she was hot, but I will say this. She plays a pregnant Russian stripper in this movie. She is prostitute who uh, does favors for uh, Bill Murray. But I will say this. She's supposed to be pregnant, but she's the skinniest pregnant girl I think I've ever seen since... uh, What's that bitch that everybody hates name that was in the Seth Rogen pregnancy movie? Whatever. The blonde that everybody hates that was on uh, Grey's Anatomy or whatever. Um, The same thing. She was supposed to be pregnant in that movie, and she just kind of, she was still skinny all over, except she just had this little pooch. And that's the way Naomi Watts was in this, and I thought that, it just did not, she did not look pregnant. And especially, she'd put on, like, like some kind of little fluffy thing, and, you know, she just looked the same. But that wasn't a big deal. She, her character wasn't that important to me. I liked the relationship between, uh, of course, Murray and the little boy, which is, like, the main thing, uh, Melissa McCarthy's son. Um... There were some scenes in it that, that kind of reminded me of um, not Rushmore, but uh, more uh, Royal Tannenbaum, where you know him and the little kid are chasing each other around and you know doing little kid things. He's a big old grown man, you know, and everything. But it was all right. I, it didn't blow me away. My friends, it really blew them away. They thought it was fucking. You know, they were like, "Oh my god, did you see that boy? That was so good. Bill Murray was so good." Uh, I thought it was okay. I, I did like that it had a, a, a little twist to it. It could have just been him and the kid, and you know, and, but it, it had a little twist with uh, Murray's life, which I kind of liked. But it, it was just, it was okay. It was all right. It was worth a watch. Me, twelve ninety nine. I kind of wish I would have rent, rented it for two ninety nine. But and now I own it, so I can revisit it and give it another peek. Uh, from nineteen ninety. I watched a Paul Verhoeven uh, directed movie written by Philip K. Dick, and everybody knows that uh, Sylvan Gold loves Dick. Um, it's starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, and Michael Ironside. Now, can you guess what this is, people? I bet you can. It's uh, Total Recall, uh, the R-rated action movie by Paul Verhoeven. Um, this was on TV. My friend told me that uh, the that Total Recall was coming on, the Colin Farrell, Kate Beckinsdale, Jessica Biel movie, and I thought, well, shit, you know, I actually liked that. You know, some some of you did not, uh, but I did, and when it came on, it was the Schwarzenegger movie, and I was not unhappy because I think this movie is very good. I have it on Blu-ray, um, and uh, I hadn't watched it in a long time, and when I got it on Blu-ray... I uh, it's just fucking hilarious, and there's so much quotable stuff, and you can pretty much watch the entire movie and go, you know, a million times and laugh your ass off watching this. Sharon Stone, uh, this is uh, one of her early roles from Connellsville, uh, Pennsylvania, where Justin Oberholzer, the cinemasochist, and I would uh, hook up for our horror hound uh, excursions. That's where Sharon Stone's from. So when we were sitting in the parking lot, you could, you know, open the car door and just take a big whiff and, you know, whatever. Um, Ronnie Cox is in this, and he's a butthole, and he's a butthole, and, like, RoboCop. He's 
good butthole. When he was younger, he always played like a, uh, not young, like a little kid, but uh, TV movies and stuff like that. He always played a good guy, and then he got into playing a, a butthole. He's good. Uh, let's see. Total Recall. I liked it. Dig it. Um, now, I think that's about it for what the what have you been watching segment. I didn't have a ton. I had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. But I elaborated on some of them a little bit more because, uh, you know, got a little bit more time uh, since I am the only one talking. And Mary finally went and laid on the bed, and Chief is laying on the floor. So we got them finally settled. You know, little kids, you have to kind of get them settled when you're doing this. Usually I do not have them in the studio, uh, this uh, ice cream book thingy I got going on here. What's this say? Oh, porn star names. Sheena Shaw. Huh. There you go. Anyway. (laughs) I just, whatever. I'll write down stuff every once in a while. Um, Now, the next thing we're going to do in this uh, show, show, podcast, movie review podcast, is we're going to go to our feature cinema. We have a double feature this week. This is something new that we're trying. Um, It's a double feature, and they're connected in some way. They're tenuously linked. The American Dreamer episode. And both of these movies, um, I didn't plan this. I just watched these two movies back to back, and I thought, you know, there's kind of a link here. Uh, A couple of chaps that are in their own way. Uh, living the American dream, seeking the American dream, or finding that the American dream might be a little bit of horse pucky. And with that, yeah, dig it. Um, the first thing I'm going to talk about, I'm going to go with, I kind of wanted to do them in chronological order, but my IMDB says not. Then I just click the back button and I'm right back on track. Okay, the first thing we're going to review, this was actually a, I guess it says G-rated, but I mean it was made for TV. Um, But so I don't think they really rated TV shows, but I guess if they have this out on VHS or DVD, it would be rated G. But it's a very good movie and it's stuck with me for years and it's 1970s Tribes. Um, now, this movie was directed by Joseph Sargent and uh, written by Tracy Keenan Wynn. Uh, apparently, the uh, I guess it was that be the daughter of Keenan Wynn uh, or the son of Keenan Wynn. I'm not sure. I have to look it up. I hate to say the son of Keenan Wynn. Uh, he is the. I'm sure it's a he. So well, it says he. So it's a he. Uh is the son of Keenan Wynn. So anyway, um, now, the history behind this movie is that when I was a kid, I would probably say in like 7th grade, uh, so we're talking about 1977, maybe 1978 or something like that, uh, a friend of mine uh, who was a, my best friend, uh, he was a huge wrestling fan, as was I. He was the first person I ever knew to own a video, a VHS tape recorder, uh, uh, 
player recorder um, and a star, giant Star Trek fan had all the th- what are you barking at I'm right in the middle of doing the show anyway um, he brought to my attention we may have to go see who is doing something well Jesus Christ the goddamn neighbor is outside getting in his fucking car. So, <laughs> big deal. Like they could, they could not fucking resist. I've, I don't think I've ever heard them bark in the house like that. And of course, I'm right in the middle of doing the show, talking about John Michael Vincent. What the fuck? God damn it. Um, so anyway, my friend uh, uh, mentioned to me one time. He said, "Oh my God, you got you know? Did you see that movie that was on TV the other night?" And I was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." dude and um he explained to me or kind of told me the concept of this movie about this uh hippie that uh was going uh to that uh, was in the marines and he was going through basic training and um some stuff about like meditation and you know i don't know i was like what the fuck are you talking about so anyway it was years later i i did not see it right away and um this had to have been around, um, I would say, I remember we got this channel that came out of, I think, Wheeling, West Virginia. And it was kind of like the channel that I get now, this, T-H-I-S. Um, but uh, my family actually, <laughs> this is probably like fucking uh, eight years later or something, we had a VHS recorder. Woo! Yay! And I used to record movies off this channel all the time because they would show movies that were kind of obscure or that had fallen through the cracks. Now, they're, they're, now they have fallen through the cracks like this movie. But uh, back then, it, you know, they, they would show stuff um, that was pretty cool, pretty awesome. Uh, some old uh, Dennis Hopper movies and, uh, you know, just a lot of things that, that weren't, uh, that you normally wouldn't see. And some of them I really, you know, uh, ended up clinging to, like, uh, American Friend, the Dennis Hopper, uh, uh, Vim Vendor's directed movie, uh, Kid Blue, another Dennis Hopper movie that I saw on there, this movie, Tribes. Um, and I still, I think, still have the VHS with all the commercials and everything with this. I don't know if it plays or not. It's down in the basement somewhere. But the concept of this movie is... Um, now, like I said, this is 1970, so this had to be one of the earlier um, Vietnam movies. And I always throw in uh, Green Berets was probably first, but it was kind of pro... Uh, not pro-war, but pro-America and America's uh, involvement in the war in Vietnam. And then this movie, which was made for TV, Boys from Company C and Go Tell the Spartans with uh, uh, Burt Lancaster were three that were kind of right around the same time uh, that were more uh, tried to show more of uh, realism and not like a John Wayne kind of a war movie, but more realism, realism, realistic uh, view of what was going on, how it was affecting young draftees, and more with a more of an anti-war uh, stand uh, stance. Um, so anyway, uh, 
when you see these movies, I've always said before, and I think I might have even said on this show, you know, a lot of them follow the same pattern because it is such a an interesting uh, subculture of hum- humanity, which is the drill instructor, you know, the the screaming, yelling drill instructor, uh, you know, is it, whether it's at Paris Island or wherever the hell he's at, and the all the new um, draftees. Uh, show up for boot camp, and as soon as they get off the bus, they're 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 just yelling at them, you know, get on that line, get over here, move in, you know, and just screaming and yelling at them, just in their in everybody's face. And so you get that you 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 have a lot of what has become uh, the cliche um, military uh, during the, the the days of the draft. Um, Storyline and one of the most iconic things that you see in these movies, and some of you are probably more familiar with like Full Metal Jacket. You had the same thing there, and also Boys from Company C, which was way before that, and this movie, where uh, a scene where all the guys come in because it's taking place in the in like say the the mid to late sixties to you know the early seventies, and everybody has. You know, a full head of hair, if not long, kind of hippie hair. You know, and the, the the iconic scene of them all going in, standing in line, and then going in, sitting in the barber chairs, and the Marines or Army or whoever's uh, barbers taking the cl- the buzz clippers and just shearing off their hair in like about two seconds to where they're pretty much just about completely bald, um, and another iconic part of that is seeing the looks on these guys faces these young guys you know they're they they have the hip hair they have the hair that is normally what everybody would wear and then all of a sudden all the all their you know all the hair everything's shaved off and they all look exactly the same which is the point of the whole of the whole thing is to you know they take away everybody's individuality everybody dresses the same everybody you know is you know like in the we we were viewed uh, officer and a gentleman the exact same thing where they they all come out you know rubbing their heads with this disgusted look on their face like fuck you know some of them look like they're about ready to cry when they're shaving their fucking hair off which is funny to watch but if you were in that situation in in the world that we live in now which you know most of us uh, uh, have never had to uh, probably all of us uh, have never had to even fathom uh, as soon as you turn 18 years old that you either go and you get your, uh, you know, your uh, draft notice, you and you say, okay, you have to report to this place at this time, and they take you, and you're immediately in the military, and these guys are screaming up and down your ass, you know, 24/7, working you like a dog, and you know, training you, and all this shit, you know, none of us have to deal with that. But in these movies, seeing that, you know, now I watch it, and I'm like, God, I'm glad, you know, thank God that uh, they finally got rid of that shit. Um, you know, uh, I heard somebody talking the other day about uh, bringing back a draft, but a, a, a peaceful like draft where you 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 draft young people straight out of high school uh, in like almost like a peace corps kind of a thing. 
but even just have it here in the United States where uh, you you put them to work, uh, you know, helping feed uh, or, you know, helping the homeless and people in soup kitchens or helping, you know, with, you know, build, rebuild the infrastructure and stuff like that to, to teach people not only a trade, but to give them a purpose uh, and not have everything have to be about, you know, killing and war and, you know, violence. Um, so anyway, uh, they have several. Th- th- this one doesn't have a ton of. Uh, you have a certain amount of um, different people. You know, they always make fun of some of these war movies where, like, you know, you have a guy from Cleveland named, and they and they call him Tex, or a guy you know who's a hayseed, uh, or a, or you know uh, an African American guy from the ghetto, like in Boys from Company C, or or a gay guy, or whatever. You have that, but it's it's a little bit more subtle because that was something that did happen back then. Where in, uh, you know, I remember reading and hearing about, like, say, in uh, uh, World War One, World War Two, maybe even the Korean War and stuff like that, where uh, you would have people from the same town and you go to the same place and you might be in the same, you know, platoon or whatever with people that you know, and then they started seeing, you know. Uh, like if one platoon got wiped out and there were five or six guys or one uh, you know group and there was five or six guys from the same little small town and they all got killed so they I think during Vietnam and stuff like that they started breaking it up more and having them be from everywhere so you were all thrown together you're all total strangers and all from different uh, walks of life some rich people some poor people uh you know whatever different nationalities different races you know whatever um and you have a certain amount of that but it's not like uh like i said you know this is tex and this is uh we call this guy uh guitar and this guy you know giant dick you know, or gaping butthole. <laughs> yeah, this guy's name's Chief. You know, whatever. Um, but uh, Darren McGavin plays the um, the drill instructor in this, the main guy. Yeah, Earl Holloman is in it too, and he also plays a, a drill instructor. But he's more, he's kind of a secondary guy. He's Darren McGavin's. He's the head DI. Uh, but they focus more on Darren McGavin's character, who ever, you know most people know from. Um, uh, uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, and also from uh, Christmas Story, he was uh, the 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 dad that that sent away and, and uh, you know at Christmas time and got the the legs the the sexy leg uh, lamp and you know uh, had his little boy uh, help him change the tire and the little kid dropped the lug nuts and all that shit. But Darren McGavin's great and this he's really great in this. He's awesome. Uh, now one thing. Uh, most people, when they see, when they think about a, a, a military boot camp movie, and they think about a, a drill instructor, a DI, first person that comes to mind is R. Lee Ermey, uh, who was also way before Full Metal Jacket was the drill instructor in Boys from Company C. Um, and because both of those movies were rated R, you get a lot of, you know, the swearing. I mean, he just non-stop swearing, swearing, swearing. Now, this movie was made for TV, so you couldn't have that. But I would say it's not. It's it's no less effective 
because you know having you know these guys screaming in your face you don't have the f bombs and stuff like that constantly or you know uh, steers and queers and all the cliche things that they, that they seem to say um, but it's still good he they still get the point across the guys still just in these guys faces and busting their balls and you know just talking to them you know uh, just running them down and everything um, he is a career soldier he is uh he's been to vietnam he's been to probably korea too um him and earl holloman both and they're training all these new uh raw uh recruits these new boots that are coming in to uh paris island uh and uh right off the bus um so you have that, like I said, that cliche thing where they're all, you know, get off that bus, get off that bus, and they all line up, and he goes through, and he's looking at each one of them, and he's making little comments about, you know, one guy being fat, or another guy, you know, having long hair, or whatever, stuff like that, and then he looks over, and, and for the most part, everybody in the group even though you had some of them that kind of had long hair or that kind of looked like nerds or some of them looked like jocks or this and that, they all look relatively normal. And then he looks down the line and he sees fucking Jan Michael Vincent. And they play this kind of weird, um, I don't know what that, that thing that uh, fucking uh, like George Harrison and shit played, the, you know, the Indian music, you know, quang, quang, you know. I, not a, it's not a harpsichord. or I can't remember what the fuck it's called. But anyway... They play, uh, you know, sort of that, and it, it just, to, you know, to me, and and even at that time, like hippie, you know, kind of music. And he looks at him, and here's Jan Michael Vincent standing there in this like dashiki with this fucking long, flowing blonde goddamn hair. He's got uh, uh, like these fucking beaded necklaces on, and and a pair of sandals and shit. And so he's just like, what the fuck? So. He goes down and he immediately, you know, gets in Jan Michael Vincent's face and then he, he starts laughing to himself and he's like, you know, oh, you know, I get it, you know. The other, other one of the other drill instructors picked you up off the street and, you know, it's a practical joke. And Jan Michael Vincent's like, no. And then he just starts screaming at him. Well, so anyway, um, you're it develops right away that there's going to be a problem here between this, this, uh, this uh, really straight... Uh, flat top crew cut career military you know his spine is so straight that you know he's gonna you know snap and jam michael vincent this this pacifist uh really you know nice uh he's just a sweet guy you know he he's he's not the kind of smart ass hippie that uh like that that would you know cause trouble and stuff he's He's into meditation. He's into, uh, like I said, he's a pacifist. He's into uh, not not losing his temper and to to be a peaceful guy and looking for, you know, uh, the good things in life. You know, nice things, appreciating the flowers and the birds and nature and a beautiful girl and all this and that. Um, you have a certain amount of interaction. I, I like when. Uh, at the toward the beginning once they go through you know the paces and the haircut and everything and they make them write home to they, their mother or whoever they have to write a letter to somebody he said the sergeant even says i don't give a shit you know who it who it's to you must write a letter to somebody so they they do like a um, kind of a voiceover narration of each one of them what they're writing 
as they're writing and like the one guy's a jock and he's like you know hey uh, tell coach so and so the exercises here aren't even as hard as what his were and then you know the one guy was in ROTC and he's like oh I really love it dad and the one you know nerdy guy's like I hate it it's the worst thing ever and J. Michael Vincent's you know they they show him and he's having flashbacks of him and this this young beautiful like hippie girl you know dancing around you know in the sun and uh he's just like drawing a picture on the page and stuff um so you have there's a conflict between um sergeant drake who is darren mcgavin and private adrian who is jam michael vincent um but it's not exactly what maybe you would think it would be um because this movie and this movie was shot with the cooperation of the U.S. military and the United States Marine Corps, um, and I guess they're doing it. I think it's Paris Island. I didn't really look it up, so you know, if you look it up and see that it was some other place, you know, then it, it, it might not be. You know, it might, it's, uh, it might be. I think it might be on, on the West Coast. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what the the place is out there. I can't remember, um, but. Um, there's a conflict there, but Sergeant Drake is tough, but he's fair. He's doing all this stuff for a reason, and that reason is, you know, uh, um, you have to learn to follow orders without question. Um, you have to, you know, uh, to be to be a team. Uh, and he's he's, you know, of course, if you look at it from, uh, you know anti-military perspective like i said taking away their individuality turning them into drones brainwashing them to a certain extent or to a, a large extent because you know a normal person is not going to want to go out and kill somebody murder somebody kill somebody they're not going to run a charge into a you know machine gun fire you know stuff like that um but he isn't like a sergeant hardman in Full Metal Jacket was even Arlie Ermey himself said, you know, if I would have been like that when, because he was a drill instructor, he said, you know, if if I would have been actually been like that, somebody probably would have shot me because you know you 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 have to be tough and hard as hell, but there's a, a certain level, um, because you're you're doing it for a reason and and. You want to break the guys down and build them back up. You don't want to break it like whereas Hardman would, you know, more. I think he'd just break them down and you know just destroy them or whatever because he was kind of like a psycho, I guess, in a way. But McGavin's character isn't as much like that. So even though you 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 kind of see as as the relationship develops, he's trying to understand uh, Private Adrian. Uh, and in a sense, trying to understand um, the new, the youth of that day. Um, you know, he comes from a different time. Uh, you know, probably grew up in the in the in the in the 40s, and you know, like I said, maybe even served in Korea or and then uh, in Vietnam, and and uh, it was just a different time, a different a different culture. And now he is seeing these guys come in that are, you know, in counter the counterculture. They're questioning war. They're questioning authority. Uh, they're some of them are, you know, like I said, are about peace and uh, nonviolent protest 
or you know they're 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 questioning the standard uh, where as other people wouldn't question it, you'd get drafted, you'd go, yeah, you might hate it and everything, but it's just the way things were. Whereas this generation was like, hey, you know, this is kind of bullshit, and this government's doing things that maybe they shouldn't fucking be doing for reasons that are not good reasons, and you know, fifty-five thousand people getting American citizens getting chewed up in a fucking meat grinder, uh, you know, for for profit or for greed or for you know also the dominoes don't fall or whatever you know and they're looking at their their um the establishment or the parents like i said last week when i was talking about the uh bider uh uh meinhof uh complex where the youth at the same time are looking at the, the the Vietnam War in Germany and saying, you know, this is bullshit. They're looking at their parents who were involved in the Nazi Party in in you know Auschwitz and uh, uh, the Final Solution and things like that and world domination. And they're saying, you know, no, this is bullshit. We're young, but we we don't want to be brainwashed. We don't want to follow the status quo. We want peace. We don't want this bullshit. And so. Sergeant Drake is, in some ways, he's he's in he's little by little kind of starting to wonder himself. He likes what he does. This is his job, and he's doing it for a reason. And, and uh, you never feel like that he doesn't believe in what he's doing, and what he's doing is for a good reason. And that's one of the reasons I like this movie, is because even though there is an anti-war element with Private Adrian and uh, there, but there is a uh, a struggle between a, the younger generation and the older generation, the establishment and the and the the counterculture generation. But it's not this hated, hateful. You have a certain amount of that with the Earl Holloman character, who rejects it all this it's just hippie communist bullshit it's communist propaganda it's hippie propaganda it's all bullshit and he's trying to get his buddy sergeant drake to you know say hey you know this is a bunch of horse shit you know uh they respect each other they're friends but they're also colleagues he knows that drake is a good sergeant he's a good drill instructor he's seen him do this a million times but he's starting to see a little crack, and he's like, you know, wait a minute, you know, this is bullshit. You, you, you need to, you don't need to let this guy come in, and and uh, you, he's he's messing with your head. And McGavin, they they show a uh, him in his office while the guys are in the barracks uh, cleaning or doing whatever they're doing, and he's sitting in there. He's he's sketching on a on a piece of notebook paper a seagull. And uh, you know that's that might be kind of ham-handed. I don't know, but I mean, I like the way it works out, which is which is that uh, he has something in him. He he appreciates nature. He appreciates art, even if it's you know just him sketching something. And he's not maybe he's not even thinking about it in that way. But Private Adrian starts to maybe bring out something in him that you know something that that's not all about death. Not all about preparing guys for death. Not all about discipline and order and following without question. A, you know, like a fascist kind of a of a, a you know a lifestyle, a Spartan lifestyle. Um, and when 
you know, Private Adrian first comes, he comes into his, he gets called into his office and he's chewing him out about something. And Private Adrian says something about it's, you know, it's like the, the picture, uh, the drill instructor's picture uh, there. It's very, uh, it's very precise yet, uh, uh, you know, full of freedom or something like that. And Darren McGavern looks over at the picture and it's almost like he's at first, um, he he goes into his old mode and and he just takes the picture and he and he wads it up in a ball and he says it's not my picture and it's it's that kind of a thing uh, and there's some other stuff uh, there's another, something later on with the picture that 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 happens but it's showing you know it's not like it could easily have been Full Metal Jacket where he just rides this guy and he's just a total asshole and and the jam michael vincent character is the one that's in the right and and you know it's it's just all one-sided a monster system against a you know a peaceful guy and everything but it shows um sergeant drake as a human being and um i like that uh you have some you know as, as far as the the uh them showing the guys going through basic training, drilling, uh, uh, marching, and uh, push-ups, and the pugil sticks, and all this stuff. All that stuff they show that, that is, you know, like I said, they shot this at this base, and a lot of it is actual stuff going on, and it looks good and everything. Um, this is an old favorite. I really like it. I know that, you know, some people may... Uh, shy away from some movies that were made for TV movies. This is a very good movie. It's got a lot of meaning. It's got a lot of heart to it, and it's got some really good acting in it. This this was one of the first things. It may be the first thing that Jan Michael Vincent was in. Uh, I know that uh, it's one of the earliest things. I w- when I was a little kid, I was a huge Jan Michael Vincent fan. Now it kind of sucks now. Um, he's really from from watching this movie, and I I laugh and joke about like uh when, about uh the mechanic, uh where I called him the golden goddess, but um there were people that had compared Jan Michael Vincent. They would say he was the Brad Pitt of his time, and he was. Um. The guy was, he looked like an Adonis. Uh, if you watch Big Wednesday or, or uh, World's Greatest Athlete and some of those movies that he was in, uh, probably never lifted a weight in his life, but he was very lean and, and just chiseled. Uh, that long fucking blonde hair. Just a, 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 a beautiful looking guy. Uh, the kind of guy that... Uh, the, you know, I'm sure women, even men, you know, uh, what men would admire and and want to be have his looks. Some men might look at him and think he's you know just a a, a hot dude. You know, depending on what your persuasion is. Uh, women, you know, like think he's you know beautiful guy. Um, he always had a hard edge to him. Um, I know that he was in like some uh, uh, early TV and then also in uh, old westerns with uh, like John Wayne and uh, like Robert Mitchum and and things like that. So he was around. That's one thing that he always said was um, when people would talk about his drinking because that was one of his major problems. 
Um, even though, like in this movie, he plays a, a peace-loving hippie who would probably smoke some weed and maybe take some at, drop some acid or peyote or something like that. But you know, uh, but in in reality, Jan Michael Vincent had those good looks and everything, but he always had kind of a hard edge. And um, he would even say himself that, uh, you know, he grew up on sets where, you know, here's Robert Mitchum and John Wayne and they're all and, and they're they're drinking, you know, shots of bourbon and playing cards and smoking cigars. And he was right there with them. And so he he actually like when he was in the movie Hooper, uh, he he actually fit in with that crowd because that's kind of the crowd that he came from you know burt reynolds brian keith hal needham and those guys i'm sure he fit right in he was a hard drinking hard partying fighting you know he was the kind of guy that would get in barroom brawls and things like that uh now later on when he got the tv show airwolf he developed a second substance abuse problem and a really bad one which was this his cocaine problem um I think, you know, definitely the guy must have a, you know, had an addictive personality and, and, you know, had the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, It really took its toll on him. If you see him now, he just recently, I think in uh, last year, had to have uh, one of his legs amputated, uh, uh, I think, uh, right at the knee. Um, he developed, I think he, I don't know if he has like diabetes and he developed some kind of infection or something like that. And they had to, you know, remove his leg. And I mean, you know, Jan Michael Vincent's an, old, an older guy now, but you know, I always think of him as that young dude. Uh, he was born in 1944. So for Christ's sakes, I mean, hell, he's like his same age as, you know, just a few years younger than my dad. Um, so, you know, I, I never think of him that way. I always think of him as being a younger guy. Uh, and probably part of that is after Airwolf, he really didn't do that much. If he did, he did some straight-to-DVD stuff. Uh, uh, the last thing I saw him in where he actually looked, still looked good, and he was still at that time a really bad alcoholic, uh, was Buffalo 66. Uh, and then after that, he started doing the straight-to-DVD stuff, and he was in a really bad car accident. Uh, and fucked his, you know, face up really bad. Uh, and um, they, when they did a, uh, I don't know if it was when they did a tracheotomy, or they had to put uh, uh, a tube down his throat, and it really damaged his uh, vocal cords. Sorry, he has a real gravelly voice now, and everything. Um, which I think in Buffalo '66 he may have even had the gravelly voice, but he just had a small part as a. Uh, in the Vincent Gallo movie, uh, uh, he uh, ran the bowling alley, but it was kind of cool to see him. Uh, he really fell hard after that. Um, lots of domestic violence stuff, uh, which I hate. Uh, it's it's it really sucks when you see, you know, whether it's like even Dennis Hopper in the next uh, movie I'm going to do, which I, I was a big fan of his. Uh, you know, you hear Sean Connery talking about slapping women. Uh, you know, whoever. Uh, you know, I'd heard tales about like maybe Robert Mitchum or John Wayne or whoever. You know, in that time, uh, uh, you know, smacking around a, a woman, slapping them or something like that. Um, but you know, seeing that and then seeing how far he's fallen, it really sucks. Uh, because, like I said, as a young guy, uh, even from the Disney movie, you know, like a uh, World's Greatest Athlete. Um, 
um, the undefeated with John Wayne, Rock Hudson, Tribes, you know, the one I just talked about. Uh, just lots and lots and lots of stuff. The Mechanic, uh, um, Bite the Bullet with Gene Hackman, White Line Fever, Baby Blue Marine, which was another one that, that Jan Michael Vincent was in that actually it was a World War II movie and you saw some of the boot camp stuff. And that one, uh, if you watch that one, you'll see a... One of the, I think, first movies that Richard Gere was in. He's in that. Shadow of the Hawk, Vigilante Force, Chris Christopherson, Damnation Alley, uh, Big Wednesday, Hooper. He had a hell of a run. Defiance was another good one. Uh, Hard Country, which had, uh, I believe, Kim Basinger was his co-star in that one. Uh, went along until the Airwolf thing, and then after Airwolf, boy, I mean, he hit the skids because that was when the cocaine kicked in, and it really destroyed his career there for a while. But, uh, you know, um, I encourage everybody... If you haven't seen Tribes, I'm not 100% if it is out on DVD. Uh, I know that it was on VHS. Uh, that was out there, and I'm, I, I know 110% it was out there uh, through other means because that's one of the ways that I have it right now. Um, but uh, it's a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. It's a deep movie, and it's, a, it's an interesting movie. Um, if you look at the times that it that it took place and how Hollywood was at that time, whether it was uh, in the movie theaters or on TV. Uh, this was when the cracks started to show and they they started letting some uh, anti-war films uh, start breaking through and started showing them, started creating them and making them. And, and it, I, th- I just thought it was interesting that this movie uh, actually had the blessing of the United States military uh, but I think that it shows both sides enough it's not just a you know anti-war you know bash the military bash the US government and what they were doing in Vietnam it, it does show both sides in a way that I can see why they would let let it happen and why they were involved in it um, now I just went too far. Let's see. Let me get back on my IMDb. I I was looking up some stuff about Jan, uh, the golden goddess. Um, Dead air is never good while you're typing. Love is like candy on a shelf. Okay, enough Tom Jones. TJ. Um, by the way, just to let everybody know. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about it. I came home this morning from work to find that my Facebook account. I had to go through some uh, machinations to get back on Facebook. Uh, and it, it, it seems that... Um, I posted something on the, uh, uh, and all it was was reporting. I'm a good reporter. I, uh, I uh, had an event that took place where I was using Doctor Doom's time machine, and uh, I went into the future, um, and I, I found um, Old Man El Goro. Uh, I took a picture of him. You know, I, I didn't want to disturb the space-time continuum or to cause uh, fracturing of uh, the timeline. 
And so I just, you know, took a picture for verification and to, you know, to bring back and everything. And I posted it on uh, the Cult of Muscle uh, podcast group and had a, a bit of discussion. Uh, I drew out a homophobic uh, member of the group who was dealt with swiftly by the McLarge and by the huge. <laughs> But, uh, apparently, now I don't know what happened. I don't know if the disgruntled uh, person who was uh, received the ban hammer uh, turned in the post uh, or what, but uh, apparently Facebook did not like uh, the old man El Goro picture. And uh, I had to explain... Uh, had to do, you know, uh, uh, check and see if I had any pictures in my albums on Facebook that might be inappropriate, and I had to uh, check a box that said that I did not, and that I agreed to the terms of Facebook and would not uh, be honorary. So now I'm back on, but whatever. Cult of Muscle, I love them, love those guys. Uh, two of the finest fellas out there. And uh, I'm glad to see that uh, both of them have merged into the force, the testosterone-filled, uh, striated uh, muscles. They're they're both are are just um, intense in their training. Uh, they both uh, hang and bang. They both are dedicated. Uh, they both have really good genetics. Um, and uh, they they are standard bearers for fitness and movie watching. Enough of that. That was another promo for the Cult of Muscle, which you can also find on iTunes and uh, I don't know Facebook. Look up that group; it's fun. But don't post any pictures of uh, El Goro's nads. So. <laughs> I thought that was a funny post. I didn't know it caused caused so much fucking drama. Well, um, the next thing I watched, and uh, I had seen this before, but I decided to give it another peek. Um, I've been in a kind of a hopperish kind of a a, a mode, I guess, um, and I wanted to watch some Dennis Hopper. Now, um, this movie actually gave uh, uh, brought forth some fruit because as I was looking up this movie and some stuff about it on YouTube free on YouTube YouTube, the actual full movie is on YouTube and the um, Dennis Hopper Ben Johnson Warren Oates movie Kid Blue is also in full on YouTube um, so those are two movies right there where you can see some uh, younger Dennis um, when he is. I, I I like well I like one of them a lot and this one that I'm going to review is more of an interesting thing um, than it is uh, something that I really enjoy watching. Um, but anyway, the movie I'm talking about is 1971's The American Dreamer. Now, this was directed by L.M. Kit Carson and Lawrence Schiller, uh, and they are documentary filmmakers. Um, 
the the story behind this documentary is, and I believe if you want to find out about um, some, uh, you know, kind of do a something to kind of connect this with uh, our brother show, uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, uh, they reviewed uh, the last movie, which was Dennis Hopper's big uh, coming out as a director. His first directorial uh, picture was Easy Rider, uh, which he directed, and it starred uh, himself and Peter Fonda and Jack Nicholson. Luke Askew, there's there's a few other people, and Tony Basil's in it from Oh Mickey, You're So Fine. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see that she's just, you know, I think about 70 years old now, because I always think of her as, you know, the, the little uh, cheerleader in, uh, you know, that song Mickey. Uh Skies like you, Mickey. That was a fun video. It's still funny. I don't know. I think it's funny. Um, but anyway, he had this huge success with this uh, one of the first counterculture, big, uh, mainstream. Well, it wasn't mainstream when they made it. It just got over and became a a huge success, box office success. About these two um, drug dealers on their choppers uh, going. Um, from I think California uh, to Mardi Gras, uh, going across country, looking for the American dream, uh, and they couldn't find it anywhere. Or looking for America, and they couldn't find it anywhere. Is what they I think the tagline was for that movie. But Dennis had this huge success, and um, so the studios, the, the, like I said, uh, Gentleman's Guide reviewed the last movie. And you'll if you if you find that episode, give it a listen because really they always do a really good job. Um, but the studios said, "Oh my God, look at all the fucking money that this made!" It was almost like um, the Max Bear movie, Making County Line, where you know they made the fucking thing for a uh, 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 fucking uh, pennies and ended up making millions and millions of dollars, and they're like, "Holy shit!" You know, maybe we should tap into some of this hippie shit. You know, we can, it's speaking out to this new generation and we need to market some stuff to them. So they told Dennis, they said, you know, hey, okay, we're going to give you total autonomy. Uh, we're going to give you this budget. Do what with it whatever you want. We want you, we want to do your next fucking movie. So Dennis said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. You know, and they're expecting, you know, uh, you know how Hollywood is. If, if Easy Rider was a was a huge success, then they want Easy Rider two or Easy Rider three or this movie's kind of like Easy Rider or another Peter Fonda, uh, Dennis Hopper movie or another Jack Nicholson Dennis Hopper movie or whatever. They they want to you know cookie cutter stuff like that, just like they do today, because they figure if it was a success, why not you know just bam 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 until it till it runs its course. Well, Dennis said, you know, okay, what I'm going to do, I want to, I've, I've got complete control, total autonomy. I want to make the movie I want to make. And um, he decided to take a film crew and a whole bunch of his friends down to Peru and make this movie called The Last Movie. Now... This movie is famous and maybe infamous <laughs> because um, I think the inf- there there's two reasons for the infamy. 
one reason is that uh, Dennis was doing uh, going down there and shooting on the studio's dime, and a lot of shit was getting back to the studio execs that Dennis was down there throwing a huge party. Uh, drug-filled parties and orgies and drunk people and people getting naked and fucking and hippies and blah, 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 blah. and they're in Peru which you know if you know anything about Peru there's some white powder down there and I think it must just grow on the fucking trees and they dig it out of the ground and uh, and uh, you know it clears up your nasal passages and gives you lots of fucking energy uh, <laughs> so you had uh, you know Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda was down there and John Philip Law and I think Christopher Mitchum and just a whole shit, Thomas Milian and just a whole fucking bunch of people. And he shot, um, pretty sure it went over budget. Pretty sure that he shot like a whole goddamn, like Michael Cimino or Francis Ford Coppola. He had this vision and he shot and shot and shot and he had fucking just tons and tons and tons of fucking footage. Um, and they repeatedly went down and said, you know, hey, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> and he's a little Hitler down there. You know, even Peter Fonda, you know, they'd say, well, you know, Dennis Hopper, everybody would think of him as being this hippie, you know. Uh, and he was a bit of a little fascist on the set. And uh, he was, uh, in some ways, um, he was not as much into... He was into the counterculture, kind of like Charles Manson was into the counterculture. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, whereas Private Adrian was into flowers and the birds and nature and uh, peace and meditation and yoga, Dennis was into assault rifles and, you know, three fifty seven Magnums and, you know, he was a bit of a misogynist. And uh, like I said, on the set, he was a... Uh, kind of a hard ass he would say you know uh, you know people expect me to be this flower child or this drugged out hippie but when i'm on the set you know if things aren't going going the way i want them they're going to go the way i want them real quick uh he was and he, peter fonda would even you know comment that uh he was uh kind of hard to be around and uh, their friendship really suffered because dennis was kind of a, a an asshole uh and he also mentioned as i said uh, when i was talking about uh j michael vincent uh uh, Dennis was, uh, I, I don't know if he was actually married, I think he might have actually been married to Brooke Hayward, who was Peter Fonda's half-sister, and uh, Hopper was known to, uh, you know, smack her around, and uh, which Peter Fonda did not like too much, and said, you know, he was ready to, you know, take his, uh, he had a belt that was made out of a motorcycle chain, and he was going to, you know, uh, beat the shit out of Dennis Hopper, and so anyway, but, you know, friends will be friends, and, you know. But this movie, this documentary by uh, L.M. Kit Carson um, and uh, Lawrence Schiller um, basically starts up during the editing process for the last movie. So Dennis has wrapped the shoot. Everybody's partied hard. Everybody's gotten fucking laid and probably got VD and done copious amounts of cocaine, peyote, LSD, smoked tons of doobies and whatever. And they're all headed, they've all gotten, 
you know, uh, back on their planes and in their cars or however the fuck they got down there, rode their horses or mules or I don't know what, and headed back to Taos, uh, New Mexico. Uh, and Hopper at this time had a bit of a, I wouldn't say a commune, but it was sort of like that. He was sort of uh, try, uh, kind of in that mode. Uh, at this same time, uh, he went to visit and did uh, some extensive interviews with Charles Manson in prison. Uh, he had thought about or was planning or somebody else was planning to do a Charles Manson movie. Now, eventually they did do the movie, but it was a made-for-TV, two-part made-for-TV movie called Helter Skelter, starring Steve Railsback, and that was the first thing that Steve Railsback was in where he got like nationally recognized because it was such a... It was a frightening, even though it was a made-for-TV movie, it was a frightening movie. And I lived through that time, and I was scared to death as a little kid that some crazy hippies were going to break into our house and slaughter us like they did, uh, you know, the Lobiancas and, and uh, Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring and Wojciech Frykowski and... Um, you know, it was it was a hideous, horrendous event, and um, Dennis Hopper was going and interviewing Charles Manson in prison. And when you watch this documentary, not only does Hopper resemble Charles Manson, although I will say this, I th- I think that you know I I recently found this week a picture. Of Charles Manson and Dennis Wilson um, on the internet, and Charles Manson and and his group of merry band of fucking morons uh, were linked to former Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson uh, because the Beach Boys, you know, they started out, you know, as you know, clean cut Beach Boy guys, which they never really were. They were into uh, counterculture, into drugs and drinking, and had addiction problems, lots of lots of horrible stuff with. Uh, Brian Wilson, his dad being abusive to him and everything, uh, which led to a lot of his problems, psychological problems, drug addiction problems, things like that. But Dennis Wilson uh, uh, became friends with Charles Manson and uh, said that he would produce his music and that all kind of had a falling out and which led to a lot of really bad shit. Uh, but um, in the picture, I had always heard from Vincent Bugliosi, uh reading some stuff about him that you know people would see pictures of Manson uh, with his crazy eyes, and he'd play up to the camera and, you know, glare at the camera, and people would be scared to death. But what they didn't realize, because you never really saw it as much on TV, the, the perspective was Charles Manson was about five feet tall. I mean, he was really short. He was just a little guy. Um, and... I th- uh, well, Hopper wasn't really tall. He was five foot nine. Like I was going to say, when he was in Giant with um, Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson was probably about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and Hopper looked like a smaller smaller guy than that. So I think he definitely could have pulled off playing Manson. And now that you look back and know that, it's almost a shame that he didn't play him because, uh, number one, I think that... I, sh- I don't want to say that they had a lot in common, 
because Charles Manson was a fucking career criminal con man who spent like, you know, more than half of his life in fucking prison. He was a total piece of shit, a total scumbag. Uh, but I could see, you can see some of that um, narcissism, some of that kind of megalomania, some of that, maybe a little bit of that con man kind of a thing. Because when you talk about Charles Manson, Manson, people always thought of him as being this young hippie, whereas he was in like his, uh, maybe like, I would say like maybe 32, 33, maybe even 35. And all these young girls and young guys that hung around with him with him were 16 to 19 to 20. He was much older, and he was, like I said, a career criminal. He, he knew um, the inside outs of prison and being a criminal and being a, 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 a evil mean son of a bitch manipulating these dumb kids with drugs and with whatever violence and you know he was just a piece of shit hopper in the same instance when you say at this time because 1971 um dennis hopper was born in 1936. So, by the time he was making this movie and like Easy Rider and some of those movies, you know, those movies, um, people would think of Dennis Hopper as being this long haired young hippie guy. But he was middle aged. I mean, he was not. He, so, you had that kind of parallel too. And when you watch this documentary, um, and I know with the, the like the, the kind of hippie commune kind of a thing, it was probably really big in the private Adrian talked about this in tribes where the commune thing started out as a well, you saw kind of the same thing in Electric Glide and Blue. It started out as a nice thing, free love, peace and love and happiness. And then it just kind of started getting perverted because you started having these guys that just wanted to show up just because they wanted to fuck these girls. And then you had like these ugly element of, um, you know, voyeurs and, and people that like just wanted to stare and look at the freaks like spectators. Like they were looking at the, at, at like, uh, the freak show or people in a, like animals in a zoo. And it got ugly and, gross and you know and um, and things just kind of went bad and you know they always said like after Helter Skelter and uh, Altamont with the, the Hells Angels killing the uh, people the, the guy at uh, Altamont Speedway at the Rolling Stones concert stuff like that it, the, the, the peace love and hate Ashbury hippie kind of movement got it, it, violence started creeping in and uh you know, people manipulating the things and, you know, death and, you know, just meanness and shit like that and kind of ruin the whole thing. Nixon and all that crap. Um, Hopper in this... Coming away... When I first started watching Dennis Hopper movies, I had actually read... There was a an article in... I, for some reason, I'm thinking it was GQ. 
some magazine I just saw a magazine at, at, at a newsstand back when there was newsstands uh, before everything was on the internet and I saw this magazine with Dennis Hopper on the cover of this magazine and he had like all mo- he had motorcycle leathers on and not like uh uh Harley guys but like a you know a sport bike he's he was by like a I don't know, it wasn't a Ducati, but some kind of a sport bike, uh, crotch rocket, and he's dressed in his like racing leathers, and he's an older guy at the time. He maybe he was like you know uh, uh, getting close to fifty years old, and I think this is when he made his career uh, uh, rebirth with directing the movie Colors with uh, Sean Penn and Robert Duvall, and then. Uh, uh, when he was in the movie Hoosiers, he he had went through this period, uh, you know, the, like the, the, he st- his his life started out as um, he got moved to, involved in film in like the early mid '60s. He was actually in True Grit with John Wayne. He was in the Sons of Katie Elder with John Wayne. Um, he called this uh, this part of his career where he pl- was. Uh, typecast as the weakling son of the bad man he was in giant with elizabeth taylor and with uh he he was friends with james dean he he wanted james dean to teach him how to act uh, you know what's this method acting he said he grabbed him on the set of giant and he threw him in the fucking car uh when they were doing the chicky race you know uh playing chicken uh in the scene and he threw him in the car and he said what are you doing i want to learn this you know what what's going on and and uh that's another thing if you see any uh documentaries about james dean uh you'll generally you'll see dennis hopper show up and and do some commentary because he not only was friends with him but he was a contemporary uh he 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 uh he learned from him he worked beside him he worked in the same movie he worked in the movie giant um so like I said, Hopper was not this young hippie kid when Easy Rider came out. He had that period. Uh, he got tired of guys like Howard Hawks and um, I'm trying to think uh, who the other. There was another direct Henry Hathaway directing these westerns where they would tell him, "Okay, stand here and then turn to your right." walk across the room, pick this cup up, take a drink, set it down, and say this line, and say it this way. And he just got tired of it. He wanted to be more of a method actor. He wanted to, he saw James Dean do this stuff, and he said, you know, I don't want to be just a a robot that you program and say, wind me up and do this exactly the way you want to do it. And he had this infamous blow-up with Henry Hathaway on the set of this uh, Western where he, uh, Henry Hathaway said, do this line this way. And Hopper, they did like 80 takes or something like that. And it was a battle of wills because Henry Hathaway was going to make him do it his way. And Hopper would do it a different way every time. He would hold his head a different way or tilt his hat a certain way or cough or stand a certain way or he'd say the line differently every time and he would try and come up with different ways to say it every single fucking time because he said you know i'm not going to do it this way and so he kind of got blackballed for for a while and just was making some shitty i don't know like spaghetti westerns you know cheap cheapy shit and then he 
uh, and biker movies and stuff like that. Uh, and then he fell into, you know, he, he made Easy Rider, had that success. With the success of Easy Rider, um, you know, and then doing the last movie, um, he was on top of the world. Uh, and then he was I don't know if I would say crushed because I think he was more crushed by his addictions. Well, number one, his attitude and, and, and fueled by his addictions. Uh, like, a, like I said, a little, little Napoleon, uh, little, um, uh, fascist on the set, uh, uh, just fucking cocaine and, uh, you know, tripping on acid and jer- drinking and, um, uh, indulging all his demons and he became persona non grata now in this movie you're seeing there are some interesting things in this um, and some interesting commentary mixed in with some really pretentious babbling bullshit um, there are a few scenes where they are editing the last movie and Dennis makes a comment that you know making the movie wasn't isn't the hard part the editing process is the hardest part of making a film because it's like cutting up your baby like you have a baby a human baby and you have to start cutting off parts and he says, you know, I make this movie, I go down there and I shoot this film, and I have reels and reels and reels of film, of footage that I think is great. It And not just he thinks it's great, it's great footage. It's like Terrence Malick shooting these beautiful, you know, nature and, you know, birds and snakes and alligators and trees and scenes of the sunrise and the wind blowing through the wheat and blah, 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 blah. And you, you just shoot all this stuff, and it's all good. But you have to cut it down to an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. And so even you're, you're, it's not like you have a plate of spaghetti uh, surrounded by a pile of turds and rotten leaves and twigs, and you throw away the rotten leaves, you throw away the twigs, and you throw away the turds, and, and then you have this you know great spaghetti in the middle everything's great at least in his mind you know of course i haven't seen the footage but i mean as an artist he sees this stuff and he's thinking oh my god this is so good how can i throw this out but you have to so he's editing this and i i believe if i remember correctly there was a lot of problems with editing he edited this son of a bitch forever and they just got tired of it and they said fuck it we're taking it we're gonna fucking edit it and i i imagine that he probably if if i remember correctly if you know if that did happen that you know that would really destroy you too and then not only that um he was really hopper was a an artist he was a really good photographer uh, of course, you know, he, uh, a filmmaker, an actor, a director, you know, he's a very creative person. Uh, he was friends with uh, Jodorowsky, and he was influenced by 
uh, some of that stuff, uh, surrealistic uh, art, and um, you see some of that in Easy Rider and some of the scenes and some of the flashbacks. He has a lot of flash cuts, uh, especially with like flashbacks and uh, you know when they're doing you know uh, drug trips and uh, you know in, in the last movie he throws in a a uh, uh, a shot that says you know scene missing. And there, you know, there was no scene missing. He put it in there for a reason, uh, to remind people, you know, of the movie making and movie making process. Because the whole story of the last movie is uh, there's a western being made in Peru. Uh, you you see cowboys riding on horses, and it looks like a you know a, a, maybe like a Mexican town or something like that, or a you know a South Texas town and. Uh, um, you have gunfights and uh, you know guys with cameras and Dennis Hopper's character Kansas is a horse wrangler stuntman on the set. Uh, when the movie wraps, he decides to stay in Peru for a little bit, and um, um, it shows how these. Um, I was going to say Westerners, but I guess we're all in the West if they're in Peru and, you know, we're in North America. But these uh, people from North America coming down there and bringing their movie cameras and, and bringing that culture, how the native indigenous people of that area start picking up on little things that they did and start doing things. They start emulating things and, you know, uh, not all, always for good. Um so when he threw that in, you know, scene missing, it was because he wanted to remind people that of the movie making process. I, I, you know, you can read all about why he did the things he did and hear interviews of why he did the things he did. But when they're editing the movie, there are clips of that, and I like that. It shows the process, and it shows him uh, in a uh, clear-headed uh, point. He's very intense. He's watching what the you know the, the the not the dailies because the movie's already shot, but he's watching the footage and he's making decisions and he's thinking and you can see his mind working, much like you can when you see clips of him directing when they show clips of him in the last movie directing. Uh, a lot of times when you're seeing in this documentary, you're seeing Hopper and he's obviously high, he's um, drunk, or he's just being a babbling, pretentious, uh, just self-important. You know, I don't, I don't know how to put it. He just, he, he is constantly talking in riddles, talking, you know, metaphysically and. Uh, you know, there's there's things that he says in this that I know Coppola let him kind of do his own thing in Apocalypse Now, where he talks about, uh, you know, uh, I believe in this. You 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 either love somebody or you, you you know it's it's love and hate. You either love somebody or you hate them. There's no in between. You can't land on a fraction when you go to the moon. You can't when you land. You don't land on a fraction. I mean, he's say, saying stuff like that in this movie which was way before Apocalypse Now, so it's just shit that he has in his head that he um, um, has either read or he likes to spout to make himself sound smart or to make himself sound... And it's probably shit that he believes in, maybe. Maybe he's a con man, just like fucking Charles Manson, who's trying to fit into this culture. Um, 
I don't know. I, after watching this, uh, you're, I really don't like the guy. <laughs> I mean, I I could see there there are things that go on in this in this documentary that are really to me make make him come across as being really distasteful, kind of a kind of a just a misogynistic jerk wrapped up in hippie clothes and hippie dialect and deep thought and artistic, you know, expression. But when it comes down to it, he's just this older guy uh, who's trying to get pussy, which that's the kind of stuff he's saying. I mean, I'm saying that now, uh, but he's talking about how he likes to eat pussy. And and I'm not saying, uh, and when I'm saying this, this is the kind of terminology he's using. He's being interviewed by this 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 woman for I don't know if it was for like Playboy magazine or if it was uh, some uh, I know there's some some uh, Playboy playmates supposedly that come down in this movie because in one scene he wants to have like a an orgy because he he says you know he loves group sex he wants uh, he he wants to you know uh, he likes to eat pussy more than he likes to to make a girl come. Uh, he starts out, he wants to have a threesome, and then he wants to have six girls, and then he wants to have ten girls, and he wants to fuck, and, and then they show scenes of him in a, in a bathtub with two naked girls, and he gets naked and gets in there with them, and, and the camera gets in on their faces, and they're, ton- they're, they're French kissing, and it's just really gross. I mean, here's Dennis Hopper with this big bushy beard and long hair, and he just looks like a little scrawny. It... You can see this, and then and then take the parallels of this Charles Manson stuff. And they were, one of the only reasons you you bring it up and make the connection is that he says in the in the film that he was interviewing Charles Manson. And then I read about it, and then you watch this and you wonder. I mean, is he is he getting into character? Is this how he was? But it's just really distasteful, and and uh, I can really see how you know this this guy manipulating. Uh, it's not it's not like a, a free love thing that you would think about in a hippie commune or something. It's this just this gross uh, creepy asshole uh, doing this stuff and you know and, and then there's a lot of times where um, they they cut to him and I think at one one point it's him and his brother. And for just no reason, I guess, you know, they, they, well, I guess, you know, if you look back at it for this period of time, they're showing Hopper for what he was and how he was. And they're out there and they're shooting like, uh, uh, I don't know if they're Heckler and Koch assault rifles or some kind of assault rifles and shooting, uh, shooting these, what look like, the. Uh, 357 Magnum, you know, pistol revolvers and stuff like that. And they're supposed to be these hippie guys. Now, I, I know that I, I did read that, you know, Hopper, they gotten in trouble with the law out there and people um, like it almost kind of like seemed like it was almost like a Billy Jack kind of a thing where here are these uh, what uh, these these people that the locals would consider hippies you know doing drugs with their long hair and coming into town and being weird and everything and and uh, you know they would maybe harass them or uh, you know uh, I think in one scene they show uh, like a a, a bunch of like uh, shotgun pellets had been shot into the front of this theater because they said that these people were, you know, uh, the straights were, you know, harassing them or whatever. And, and at one time, I think Hopper and his brother went into a uh, some kind of, I don't know if it was a, a, a 
a thing in a school auditorium uh, where a lot of bunch of the people in the town got together for some uh, town business thing, or I don't know what it was. And they came in wearing ponchos, and they flipped the ponchos up, and they had uh, you know submachine guns. And they said, you know, we know that you know you all think we're pacifists and we're all hippies and this and that, but you know, don't don't think that we won't defend ourselves and you know stuff like that. So there was some weird shit going on, and um, you know, who knows who was in the right and who was in the wrong, but it does show, and I, and I think probably after the Manson thing, um, and like uh, the Wounded Knee uh, with Russell Means and Dennis Banks and. Uh, when they took over Wounded Knee, uh, when the the straights out there were really fucking with the American Indian movement and shooting people and everything, and they decided to defend themselves, um, um, I think that I, I I remember after the Sharon Tate murders and you know the the Charles Manson you know all those killings and stuff like that, like Steve McQueen and and all these guys were always walking around armed after that because uh, Manson had had a list of people that he wanted to kill to make uh, a statement and they had all these famous people's names and everything so they may have been you know thinking about that too and and also thinking you know hey you know we're not going to sit back uh, like uh, you know uh, uh, with the civil rights uh, movement in the south where they didn't have any guns and these people were coming around and shooting them and bashing them in the heads and hanging people and stuff like that we're going to defend ourselves so like I said, the, the violence kind of swept in and things changed. Um, but again, watching this documentary, it is a time capsule of this part of Dennis Hopper's life. To me, it's not a very flattering uh, uh, showing of, of how he is. Uh, not a depiction, because it's actually him's documentary. Um but it's, I guess that's not a bad thing if that's the way he was. Now, there's a certain amount of it where it almost seems like he's doing things uh, maybe for shock value or f- to um, just kind of to, to shock the straights. Um, I don't know. Uh, I did find a, a, uh, an interview with him on YouTube, and I'll post it to the Silver and Gold uh, Facebook group, where he was on the uh, Merv Griffin show, which was kind of like you know, it was a talk show, like a you know, I was going to say Dinah Shore or, or Mike Douglas or Phil Donahue, but of course you know a lot of you people probably don't even know who those people are, but uh, kind of like the Tonight Show, whether it's Jimmy Fallon or or Jay Leno or something like that, where they have people on and Dennis Hopper. It was right after he was on that show, right after. Um, they were just getting ready to release the last movie and Willie Mays, the baseball player James Brolin and uh, I can't remember who the girl was Carol Baker, I think was uh, was on there with him and when you watch that interview it kind of gives you an idea of how he is in this documentary except uh, he, he goes on with a lot of bullshit and uh, he... He spouts a lot of bullshit, misdirects, you know, t- uh, talks a lot of, of just, just a lot of just, I don't know. It just kind of gets on your nerves, because uh, you know they're asking him questions, and he always has some smart ass, you know, just kind of a, uh, it's just really kind of a, uh, he, it seemed like he'd be kind of a pain in the ass 
to uh, interview or to talk to now of course everybody in the comments on that interview were saying that you know of course he looks like he's obviously either high or drunk or whatever um but and and, and i and i did hear some people you know com- kind of com- complain about some of the some of the folksy music in this there's a movie you know something about uh uh dennis traded in his uh uh Dennis Hopper traded in his chopper, and there's some stuff like that. Uh, some music sounds like kind of like Chris Christopherson, or um, um, oh, geez, I'm trying to think of some of the people, but I, you know, uh, that are singing in this, and and not only that, but like like are there with him playing guitar while while he has this big uh, glass of dark beer, and and they're smoking, you know, smoking weed, and you know. Uh, there's one scene where they're sitting around a table and a guy's playing the guitar, and it almost seems like a it's a it's like a setup of sort of like a Last Supper kind of a thing. There's some pretentious shit. Like I said, I've already said that three or four times, but it, it is kind of I've watched this two or three times, and every time I watch it, it just you know you just want to say, well, yeah, what a dick, you know. But that that said, I still think he was a a very good actor. Um. Even the old stuff uh, with the you know John Wayne and that stuff, um, but definitely uh, Amer- uh, American Friend, uh, the Wim Wenders, uh, Vin Wenders um, movie uh, with Bruno Ganz, which I love. That's one of one of my favorite movies. Um, Apocalypse Now, uh, you know Colors, which he directed, Hoosiers. Um, he's had a lot. I mean, uh, Blue Velvet. He had a lot of a lot of good stuff, and I think the guy maybe what I how I feel is colored by how I want want him wanted him to be, how I would have liked him to be, probably how a lot of people would have liked him to be because they thought of him as a voice of a generation when he made Easy Rider. But when you watch this, you see warts and all, and um, he was a flawed person uh, with a lot of, I think he had a lot of ugliness in him, um, And but it's worth a watch. Uh, I know also I found, you know, Shock Cinema also uh, did a, a review of this, uh, which I read last night, but it's something to check out, and like I said, uh, I kind of... I, I watched uh, I watched this and then uh, I just happened to have Tribes on my iPad and I watched that and I thought you know okay here is a, a movie ab- uh, about a couple of guys that um, from right around the same time period uh, one of them is a is a is a guy, uh, a young guy of peace and um, lo- peace love uh, forgiveness and uh, who is into nature and and beauty and appreciating life and then you have uh the other guy dennis hopper in this movie uh who knows if he was playing himself or if that's you know 100 percent how he was or if it just got blurred into this person but uh when you think of you know hippies and counterculture you think of dennis hopper but when you compare the two, one of them is definitely a um, just there's a, like I said, uh, whether it's with uh, there's just a lot of kind of gross 
a gross perversion of uh, what you would think, uh, you know, hippies and counterculture would be. Uh, but it's a sign of the times. It, it was, you know, like a, probably maybe maybe uh, uh, Dennis Hopper in American the American Dreamer is what Private Adrian maybe maybe that's what he eventually would have turned into after being abused or after being, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, um, went on, went on long enough, <laughs> but, uh, I really, these are, these are two movies. Um, the first one tribes is something that I recommend. It's just a good movie. I really like it. I recommend it to everybody. American, the American dreamer is a movie for all Dennis Hopper, uh, uh, fans, uh, completionists or whatever. And, um, it's worth a watch. Uh, the first time I watched it, I was really excited about it. Uh, I got it from, um, uh, by other means. And it, it was something that was, um, uh, had fallen through the cracks of history. And when it showed up, uh, during a E fray each lay, I snapped it up because I'm a big Dennis Hopper fan. And when I watched it, I thought uh, I couldn't, it was hard to get through. And, um, but even watching it this time, I, I watched it in like about three different uh, sections because I turned it off because I got tired of hearing him. <laughs> but it's it's worth a watch, and uh, it, it, with both of these, much like um, uh, the Baba Duke and especially uh, Borgman last week. Um, let me know what you think uh, if you do get a chance to see either one of these tribes or the American Dreamer. Shoot us an email. Uh, or even post uh, maybe some of your thoughts on the Silva and Gold group because I'd like to, you know, just get some other people's perspective and and even some other Dennis Hopper or J. Michael Vincent movies that you like, uh, or even Darren McGavin. Let me know what you think about some of it, like Kolchak and uh, uh, the Night Stalker, or you know, some of that stuff. But anyway, um, I am going to go for now i was going to say i might check and see if there's any feedback in the uh in the uh in our email um because i haven't checked that in a in a while so i'll pause for a few seconds and then i'll come back with a the uh maybe some feedback and maybe uh just an adios okay well i am back and uh being that i am not uh i'm uh not as technically proficient as Delof with uh, feedback and uh, you know the uh, getting stuff down uh, I'm working on it so I will uh, I haven't had a chance to really mess with that but I'm gonna start uh, you know kind of looking uh, as far as uh, people send feedback and uh, adding music and all that bullshit <laughs> but we did get something from Armin and uh, I wanted to just you know add it I I'm not sure how to uh, actually add the motherfucker and play it so you guys can hear it. So I'm just going to kind of go over some of the stuff that he said. Because um, Armin is like one of our, our uh, loyal uh, miners. Uh, and he always has good feedback. Um, some of the movies that he watched, uh, um, he watched a French uh, film called Sleepless Night. 
Okay, I'm not really sure what that is. I'll have to look it up. Uh, I'll take that under a recommendation. Um, the Invisible Ray with uh, Bella Lugosi. Uh, Bella Lugosi was really big at that time, and now no one gives two fucks for Bella. Um, let's see. He watched uh, The Rock, a.k.a. Dwayne Johnson in Walking Tall, uh, and he said he really liked that one. Uh, and he also got... Um, the uh, I guess the three box uh, movie set of the Walking Tall movies, uh, Walking Tall one with Joe Don Baker and uh, two and final chapter Walking Tall with Bo Svensson. Um, another movie that he watched that I have never heard of and that I will look up stars one of my favorites Rod Taylor in uh, or it's called No Nobody Runs Forever and it also stars another favorite of mine Christopher Plummer. So I want to check this one out. Um, it's an uh, Australian uh, cop movie. I guess Rod Taylor is a is a uh, uh, Australian dick. No, would a, a dick would be a detective. So I guess he could be a detective and be a cop. But and Rod Taylor, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he hit a Vincent Price uh, double feature because Armin did just recently. Uh, I don't know if he bought a region-free DVD player or if he just figured out a way to switch his DVD player so that it is region-free, which will open up uh, a plethora of movies for him. Uh, the first one is a Vincent Price movie called Madhouse. Uh, that was on, I don't know if it still is or not, on Netflix Instant. Uh, it's a its a newer Vincent Price movie as far as, you know, it's not like you know one of the real super-duper old ones. And I, I remember watching that one. I liked it. And Witchfinder General... Uh, and then he hit a spaghetti western. He had two spaghetti westerns. Uh, one of them was called Day of Anger with Lee Van Cleef. And the second one, I could not hear what he said it was called, but it had uh, Thomas Milian in it. So, Armin, if you're out there and you hear this, uh, post on the group what the second spaghetti western was that you watched with Thomas Milian. Um, he watched a Danish uh, uh, movie called The Good Cop. He said it was uh, kind of like a Danish uh, bad lieutenant, uh, which that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he also watched uh, Burt Reynolds' movie, one of my favorite Burt Reynolds movies, uh, White Lightning, uh, which is a moonshine movie with Gator McCluskey. And uh, I really like that when Bo Hopkins is in that. Uh, and uh, Ned Beatty plays a really uh, good asshole, bad, southern sheriff dickhead. And a movie called Wicked Blood. So I'll have to look that one up too because i never heard of that. And uh, Armin also commented that uh, uh, Sam Uri and uh, Large William, or Big, aka Big Willie from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, were expressing that they would like to see Loaf and I's O-Face. Um, hmm. Might have to try and figure out a way to do that. <laughs> Especially if Sammy goes to Whorehound next month. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, and okay, so that's about it, people. Uh, I did want to get that down because Armin and, um, uh, like I said, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of mess around with some of this stuff and uh, uh, figure out a way to uh, maybe uh, get some of the feedback on the uh, actual stuff that I'm recording here. Because I'm just a one-man gang. Uh, here and my manager is Playboy Gary Hart. So anyway, people, uh, I um, hope you guys are hanging in there and doing well. Hope you are um, doing, uh, you know, a lot of peyote, a lot of LSD, uh, smoking a lot of dube, 
and having orgies um, with um, chicks or dudes, uh, you know, just getting a big pile like uh, Phil Elliott talked about in North Dallas 40. You know, ah, it's the same old pile, Seth. But I'm running on about uh, Armin said in his um, feedback that he was um, amazed. You know, Loaf did like an hour uh, individual pod or you know uh, solo show, and he was uh, amazed at anybody that could just sit for an hour and do a show. Well, I'm running on two hours and fourteen minutes right now, boys. <laughs> So anyway, you you uh I know the movies were uh you know the American Dreamer and Tribes but uh even though I only watched six fucking movies you got kind of a Dennis Hopper history lesson, a Jan Michael Vincent history lesson and some comic books. So I'm trying to give you the full meal deal even though I'm a single uh uh single I don't know what I am. What kind of meal? Cabbage and rice and beans. So this is Zom calling from the or, uh, coming from the state of Euphoria, saying Zom, what? <laughs>